0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, one last slate of games to recap. Week 13 in the books, how are you doing? Did you, uh, did you get a chance to watch these
2: games? Yeah, well, I watched a bunch of them. And um, my takeaway is that this was a bad weekend for me to bet, number one. <laughs> Did very, very poorly. It was my worst weekend of the season by far. The second takeaway is that um, I'm going to have to eat some crow on a couple fronts on this podcast, I'm not very excited about it.
0: Yeah, uh, we had some surprising results this weekend, to say the least. Um, Mostly not for the best. Mostly not for the best. But um, thankfully, I think the ACC, there was really only kind of one major upset, I think, that the ACC fell victim to in out-of-conference play. So we'll... We'll get to that here in a little bit, um, but I, I think otherwise, you know, there were, there were some pretty good games, some entertaining performances and all that that we can, uh, can kind of get into if you're ready here. Yeah, let's do it. Let's go back to Friday. Uh, we had two games on Friday, kind of afternoon into the evening. The first one has started to become an annual tradition of just absolute nonsense, wonky football. As the NC State Wolfpack, 30, the number 17, UNC Tar Heels, 27 in double overtime. Uh, this game was wild. It was back and forth. We forgot to mention on the preview that it was also a wild back and forth game last year. Um, so this is starting to become something of a tradition, we'll say. Um, NC State, for for as much as they were not supposed to be able to move the ball in this game, they got out to a 14-3 lead uh, midway through the first half. Uh, they were leading 17-10 to at halftime. They score a touchdown with about four minutes left to take a 24-17 lead, at which point North Carolina drives 15 plays, 75 yards, and scores a touchdown to tie the game as time expires. Sends it to overtime. Both teams kick field goals in the first overtime. Both teams kick field goals in the second overtime, with the exception that only one of those field goals went in as North Carolina's attempt in the uh, bottom of the second overtime was a bit of a rough look. It was not particularly close. It was a total shank, and uh, NC State holds on to win. Wolfpack finish at eight and four. North Carolina on a two-game losing streak heading to the ACC Championship. Go ACC, baby!
2: Yeah. So North Carolina had to had to actually score like <laughs> two touchdowns there on the last play of the game um, because second mm-hmm. to last play of the game. We thought they scored a touchdown, right? Uh, May threw a touchdown mm-hmm. pass to John Copenhaver, his tight end, uh, who it looked like made an unbelievable catch in the back of the end zone. He did not. They yep. overturned it, ruled it incomplete. There were, I think, two or three seconds remaining on the clock, um, and that that's when Drake May hit Antoine Green for the touchdown. So that's kind of how that went down towards the end. It was kind of crazy. It looked like Carolina had tied the game a couple different times, and you know, finally push that game to overtime. North Carolina is really fortunate. They have Drake May. I think that's that's pretty abundantly clear at this point. And he didn't even have his best game, but without him, this would be a pretty mediocre team, right? Like, May is really Kind of seems that way. And yeah, mm-hmm. he's really good, man. And, like, he was only 29-49 of 49 in this game. Like, certainly was not his best passing day. But he made some big-time throws in the fourth quarter when it mattered to get Carolina mm-hmm. back in this football game. Um, yeah, they scored 14 in, in, the,
0: in the fourth quarter to, to get it to overtime.
2: Right, right. I mean, they were down They were down bad there. Um, and it, it was – with the way they were struggling to move the football for most of the day, it was like, man, is 14 too much to overcome? Because there was just no consistency by the Carolina offense throughout this game. I mean, you mentioned they fell down 14-3 to in the first half. They were really struggling to keep the offense on the field. They weren't converting their downs. Um, they were really struggling to run the football. So there were a lot of things kind of working against them in this game. And then to boot, like, NC State's offense played pretty well despite having all sorts of questions coming into this game at quarterback. Like, MJ Morris was a game-time decision. He ends up not playing. Ben Finley plays. Um, of course, the younger brother of Ryan Finley, who – transferred from Boise to NC State and ended up having a really nice career for the Wolfpack before moving on. Um, Finley threw for 271 yards and two touchdowns. I thought he was really good. So Carolina had a lot of elements here working against them, even though they were at home. And they kind of scratched and clawed their way back into this thing in the fourth quarter to the point where I thought, okay, if Carolina gets this game to overtime, I thought they would win the football game. Obviously, that didn't happen. You have to credit NC State. Taking a step back, like, this is an unbelievable coaching job this year by Dave Doran. That's, that's my kind of overarching takeaway of the NC State season. Sure, coming into the year, mm-hmm. I think we thought that NC State was going to be this team that was going to contend for the Atlantic, that would that could, you know, come out of that division. A lot of people picked them t- to win that division and get to the ACC championship. They lose Devin Leary in October, and they still win eight games anyway. Sure, there was a Mm -hmm. head-scratching loss to Boston College in there, Joey, but when you kind of take a step back and you look at this team and kind of where they ended up, despite all these injuries they had and questions at quarterback, you had to start freshmen, you had to start guys who hadn't played a lot of snaps, you had a walk-on starting quarterback. Jack Chambers, right, he started at quarterback against Virginia Tech. Yep. You had all sorts of questions at the most important position on the field, and you won eight games anyway. And that's a testament to Dave Doran and the job that he has done at NC State. Joey, you, you were texting us in, in our group chat that we have with the three of us, and <laughs> you were saying, you were saying, oh, you guys were doubting NC State? Couldn't be me. Uh, I'm a big Dave Doran believer. Um, I'm the yeah, biggest Dave like Doran that. fan here. I don't know what y'all are talking about. Let, let the record show that you have never had doubts about Dave Doran. We didn't record a off-season podcast dedicated almost entirely to you shitting on him for 40 straight minutes. <laughs> that that couldn't have been us. Um, yeah, I and and look, you were the first to eat crow about that. You know, mm-hmm. I, th- this is um, what he's done the last three seasons in particular. I think is really impressive and how he's kind of gotten NC State back to where I think they probably should have been, and then has kind of taken this team to a different level because eight and four on paper going into the year you would have said yeah that's a disappointing season eight and four Mm -hmm. considering kind of where they were at in October with the injuries and losing Devin Leary for the year and kind of how the offense evolved man I think a lot of NC State fans if they were being honest with you would take eight and four if you told them that Devin Leary in the preseason if you told them that Devin Leary was going to go down midway through the year and and you said would you sign up for eight and four I think a lot of NC State fans would say yes and that's what I keep going
0: back to is that preseason conversation with Joe Gillio and and it was basically like a ten wins ACC Atlantic champions or bust, and realizing that you fell short of that, but like you're saying, I mean, there's a lot of context there. You're on your third and fourth string quarterback by the end of the year, and not only that, but that's that's just part of your you know the injury issues you're having. You're, you know, you're missing guys kind of throughout the team. Uh, injury wise in a way that again it continues to seem to happen to NC State I don't know how or why but it seems yeah. like there's a number of years you know but but to finish eight and four to beat your rivals I mean to be as as good and competent as they have been all year uh, for the most part despite all this you know turmoil like you said I, I agree I think this is Dave Doran's best coaching job and I think it's it's really been cool seeing him have a second act here at NC State. Um, you know, he had that that team with with Ryan Finley there several years ago, 2016, 17, maybe 17, 18. I'm trying to remember um, that really peaked, and they won 17 games in two years. I think um, you know, very good team. Sent a bunch of players to the NFL and all that. And it was coming off of that. You know, the, on the come down of that, that I was thinking, I don't know how how sustainable this is going to be. Yeah. You know, in 2019, they they went like three and nine. It was pretty rough. And so for him to then get it going again, build this up, and and this is a, a third straight pretty strong season, as a second act, I think here is it's it's impressive to me. Um, yeah, as mentioned, I, I was really impressed with Ben Finley here too. I mean, he he, my guy for a fourth string quarterback, came out making some throws, Mike. Um, he, he was in command and control, and um, that, and I, I was I was really impressed with the NC State's defense as well. Um, some, some of this game I felt like was North Carolina's offense looking a little sluggish. I don't know if they were, again, if they were looking ahead, if they were taking things for granted, I don't know what was going on, but there were some drop passes. There were some bad looks, all that, but NC state's defense, again, I mean, just continues to impress me at how consistently solid they are, especially in the front seven. Those linebackers are everywhere all the time. Um, Peyton Wilson, Drake, Thomas, Isaiah Moore, all those guys, um, a lot of fun to watch. Really, really good team, and um, yeah, I just I'm impressed with NC State, and I am um, I, I'm I'm honestly I'm kind of disappointed with North Carolina with the way that this has ended. And there's I think there's something to be said for if you go back and you look at the season that North Carolina has had. There was the loss to Notre Dame, but otherwise they were they were nine and one with Georgia Tech coming to town. But you could easily point and say, okay, well, yeah, you won all these games, but you beat a bad Miami team by three. You beat a Duke team that you're much more talented than by three. You beat Virginia by three. You beat Wake Forest by two. So, like, you've you've, you've played a lot of these close games, not to mention you beat Appalachian State by two and Georgia yeah. State by a touchdown. Like, you've, you've played a bunch of one-score games, and the coin has come up heads every time. So there's something to be said for when you start playing these close games. Eventually... One of them is not going to go in your favor, and they've done it now back-to-back weeks with two losses by a combined seven points.
2: I didn't think, and I, I didn't think UNC was as good as their record, right, um, going into November, because that defense was so bad. Mm-hmm. But I thought that they could overcome a lot of their deficiencies defensively with how good Drake May is and how he propels the offense to a different level. Like mm-hmm. the offense, I think the, the biggest difference with North Carolina's team this year from the team we saw last year that got all the preseason hype oh they're gonna play off this play off that you know the ACC title game they're gonna push Clemson all that stuff obviously they didn't do that right and they've had a better team this year the biggest difference to me is that Drake May is a much better fit for what they want to do than Sam Howell right Mm -hmm. um May will hang in the pocket and he'll make the throws that Sam Howell wanted to bail out of the pocket on and try to make plays off schedule with right and not saying it's right or wrong, Howell had a really good career. He's a really, he was a really good player for North Carolina, but May's a better fit. I think that's pretty clear, and that, I think the ceiling is also a little higher with Drake May. I just think that Caroline's in the spot now where defensively, like, the Gene Chiswick thing is not working, right? And the so, Jay Bateman
0: thing didn't work before that.
2: Right, so is it coach or is it scheme? And I'm not talking about defensive scheme. <laughs> We've had this conversation before. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about offensive scheme. You know? Yeah. Like, is the offensive scheme hurting the defense where it almost doesn't matter what you run, right? Because yeah. running opposite um, of, of a long-go scheme is just going to be very difficult on a defense. And I'm starting to have some... I'm starting to have some additional questions about that. I don't know what they do defensively, and I don't know what the ceiling is under Mac Brown. This might be it. Nine wins might be it. I, I, that's, not, that's not a train. terrible ceiling, if that's what it is. Well, no, but I, I mean, I, I think he has marginally raised the, and maybe this is a hot take, I think he's marginally raised the ceiling from Larry Fedora. Yeah. And when you look at the, and we look at the record, I know it sounds crazy because they just won nine, and like they, they're recruiting really well and all this stuff. But like when you look at the record that Fedora had at North Carolina, and kind of where Mac Brown is, like Mac Brown has marginally raised the ceiling of of the program. Like they're getting better players, but they're not consistently performing at the level that they should be relative to how they're recruiting. Right. So at some point, it's you know. Is nine wins a ceiling for Carolina? If so, this is a basketball school, right? So if they get to nine wins consistently, I think a lot of Carolina fans would sign up for that on the football side. Yep. But at the same time, Joey, you mentioned they won nine. They went 6-2 and two in the ACC. They won a lot of one-score games. A yep. lot of one-score games. And it caught up to them at the end of the year. So I don't know how how long Mac Brown is going to continue to do this. I think there still needs to be some changes made on the defensive side of the ball in terms of staffing. We'll see what happens there. Uh, it's going to be an interesting offseason for Carolina. I'm sure they'll get more hype again next year because Drake May isn't going anywhere. Like, he'll be back. So, I'm interested to kind of see, see what happens going into next year.
0: I wonder what's going to happen with Phil Longo. <laughs> And and I mean, obviously you're not gonna fire the guy, like he was running a top ten offense here, you know, at UNC. And right. I also I also I don't get the impression that he is a guy that is really being pointed at as like a potential head coaching candidate either. But I also see that again, he's running a top ten offense and is consistently running a really good offense. And I could see a team that could money whip even North Carolina mm-hmm. come and come and get Phil Longo be like a near $2 million coordinator or, you know, whatever it, I don't know. Right. I, I would guess that there is a, a team that wears uh, crimson and white and it's in Tuscaloosa. They're probably gonna be looking for a new offensive coordinator. Um, I could see them wanting an offense like Phil Longo runs potentially. You never know. Um, might be a little too pass happy at times, but you know, it's like if he gets plucked, then what direction does Matt go? And how does that influence than what happens on defense, and I, I'm with you. I'm not, I'm not sold that that the offense is the problem for the defense. Like, I I don't think that there's anything inherently such that just because you run the offense that you do, you can't have a good defense or even like an average defense. And that's the thing, because again, your offense is like top ten. Your offense, your your defense is outside of the top hundred of 130 teams. Like, so you know, could you get the defense to like 70th? Yeah, at that point, you're probably 11 and one.
2: And, and, you know, you're pretty clearly the best team in the ACC, I would imagine. I mean, you're you're 11-1. and one, You're, yeah, the, the best or one of the two or three best teams in the ACC. Mike, at that and point, you're Tennessee. It, I was going to say, you're, you're, <laughs> Oklahoma's, you're Oklahoma State prior to the last two years, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's who you are. Like, Oklahoma State made a Big 12 championship game last year on the back of a really good defense. Yeah. But Oklahoma State wasn't making Big 12 title games under Mike Gundy. Um, because of their defense before last year, like mm-hmm. that wasn't happening. So, right. yeah, at that point they're just scoring a million points and they're a you know a queued up version of a Big Twelve team or they're Tennessee. Yep, yep. Going to be a
0: fun off season. We'll see what goes on. Uh, Nebraska, by the way, has hired Matt Rule, so I think uh, Dave Doran will be sticking around in Raleigh for the foreseeable future. If I would have to if I would have to guess, I don't think there's going to be another yes. job that would come calling for him that he would be interested in. So.
2: But now, other one could have been Wisconsin, but
0: yep, that got filled today as
2: well. So it sure did. Stranger things have happened, but I, I don't think they're going to happen here. Hey, look, I, if North Carolina wants to make a change, Jim Leonard's looking for a job. <laughs> I've heard he knows a thing or two about defense. I would.
0: <laughs> you could make worse hires than Jim Leonard. Uh, yes, you could. You could make a lot of worse hires than Jim Leonard as your defensive coordinator. Yep. NC State 30, North Carolina 27. The other game Friday night. Uh, this was in Tallahassee. The number 16, Florida State Seminoles 45, Florida 38. Um, Mike, <laughs> I, I feel weird about this game because no, you don't. No, well, you don't. I do a little bit because I like. I definitely from from watching this game, I looked down at the end and I totally understood how Florida State had 45 points. What I did not totally understand is how Florida came up with 38. And I think really the story here is that Florida was not able to consistently move the ball at all on Florida State without the occasional explosive play. Like, Florida was only able to score on drives when Florida State had defensive kind of breakdowns. But when they did have those, Florida really did tend to maximize on them throughout this game. But Florida State able to hang on as their offense continued churning.
2: I went to bed at halftime of this game. Hmm. That, um, that was a mistake. You missed a fun second half. I did. (laughs) I did. (laughs) I did. Um, Anthony Richardson was not very good in the second half, huh? No. Um, and in fact, I
0: I texted you this at one point. Um, you said, went to bed at halftime because, you know, not sleeping this much this week. Can't it wait to rewatch the second half. And I said,
2: And this was, by the way, but not to cut you off, this was at like one in the morning. I texted that. Yeah, it was midnight so, central time. So, yeah, one in the morning. Obviously, <laughs> obviously feeding my kid, right? So, yeah. So I, I said, I, te- I text that, and Joey says this Put Noah to bed, turn on the second half, and see
0: what happens first. Noah wakes up, or Anthony Richardson completes a pass. Because, Mike, it took almost the entire second half, if I'm not mistaken, for Anthony Richardson to complete his first pass after halftime.
2: Yeah. When you have to talk to reporters after the game and say, i got to go back to the drawing board and figure out why I was 9 for 27, that probably is a pretty poor indicator. Now, I will yeah. say that, that there aren't going to be too many times where you go 9 for 27 passing and your team puts up 38 points offensively. You're not going to have that happen too often.
0: Nor are you going to go 9 for 27 for 198 and three
2: touchdowns. Yes, he made those nine nine completions count. Yes, he did.
0: Yeah, when you average... What, 21 yards – or, sorry, 20, 23 yards of completion, something like that? Yeah, that's pretty good. I'll take that.
2: I would say that Jordan Travis's passing numbers weren't great either, but my God, he was electric yeah. in this football game. Yeah. He was electric.
0: I'm at the point – I don't know – and, and I, I tweeted this out during the game. I don't think that Jordan Travis's game is really going to translate to the NFL – no. But that's beside the point, man. Like, he has become a really good, really fun college quarterback. He is just in control. He he is a difference maker for Florida State out there right now. And it's, it's been really cool to see him improve and grow throughout his career. Um, he started at Louisville, you might remember. That was under – he played for Petrino at Louisville um, and eventually transferred to Florida State. God help him. Yeah, yeah. Transferred to Florida State and year over year has gotten quite a bit better. Um, and, and he's now, I think – We've we've talked about it. If not for what Drake May did for most of the season, I think Jordan Travis would absolutely be probably the leader for ACC Player of the Year. He's he's been incredible.
2: <laughs> my my shtick during the Duquesne game could have come true. Yep. So, oh, by the way, I'm just I'm ready to just start the lies now. Uh, Jordan Travis could absolutely be an All American next year if he returns to school.
1: Wow. I was about to ask, does he have a COVID year?
2: He's got a year left. I'm, he I'm, can return.
0: It is so exhausting trying to remember how much eligibility people have the, this day and age. Like
2: he can return
0: the COVID year, four games you can play without losing your red shirt. Like yeah, you've got these like twenty six year old dudes who is like oh I got
2: two years left of college. It's like how? But anyway, Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis is is on the Caleb Williams scale in terms of like you look at his stats and you are like man. That's not that impressive. And then you watch the game, and you're like, oh, okay. I see what all the hype is about. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, he only completed, like, half of his passes. Oh, like, on Saturday, he only went 13 of 30. And then you look and see he threw for 270 yards. And and then you'd see his rushing stats. He ran for 83 yards and two scores. He had a couple of ridiculous runs in this football game. Mm-hmm. Like, he is—he's electric. You gotta watch him to really get a full understanding of kind of what his game has become. But he's—he's he's definitely improved a ton. Yeah, I, I don't think—I don't think even like going into last year, we were thinking. And, and again, you know, you remember last year, he didn't even—he st- didn't even start the opener. Like they were going back and forth. It was him and Mackenzie Milton going back and forth in that Notre Dame game. What like, was we Bailey sure Hawkman was there. Out there? Oh, Bailey Hawkman. <laughs> I, he, Thanks for reminding me. Like <laughs> Bailey, ha- it was Bailey Hawkman going back and forth with Mackenzie Milton, and then now you have Jordan Travis get thrown into the mix in the second half of the year, and all of a sudden he's playing some really good ball. We saw Jordan Travis, of course, in the COVID year as well. Like it just feels like now it's his offense, right, and his team, and he's really starting to turn a corner. I hope he comes back.
0: Yeah. We'll see. Like I said, I, I don't know really what waits for him on Sundays if he tries to do that. I, I don't know. Again, anyways, that it's, it's beside the point. But what he's done for Florida State this year especially has been really impressive. And, you know, I, I, I agree. If he comes back, it, it is a total game changer for the Knowles next year. Um, I, I, I forget who they have waiting in the wings. I guess, um, is it A.J. Duffy is one of them maybe? But... It would take a lot to live up to what Jordan Travis is right now for whoever steps in next year. So, um, credit to him for for everything he's done.
2: This is probably, and this is probably a preseason top ten team next year if Travis comes back. I mean, they got a lot returning, mm-hmm. and um, there's no reason to think that this team couldn't be one of the one of the favorites in the ACC going into next year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, curious to see what this translates to in recruiting for Florida State, um, both out of high school and out of the transfer portal. I mean, they've had a couple of guys they've gotten from the portal that have been stars on this team. I mean, I think Johnny Wilson, for one. Uh, I think Jared Verse, for another. Like, there there are a number of these guys that have transferred in and have all of a sudden become stars for Florida State. So. It's. It seems like that's a that's a good thing when you are a a destination for transfer players. Um, I would agree. That's a that's a a really nice avenue to be able to help get yourself some talent on the on the on the team.
2: Yeah, for sure. Norvell's got to go in a good direction.
0: Yep, absolutely. So good win for Florida State. They finished nine and three. Uh, they are ranked. They. I think there's an outside shot that Florida State could get into a New Year's Six bowl. Um, uh huh. There there has been some shenanigans with some of the teams above them in the rankings. We'll see where they are on on Tuesday when the new college football playoff rankings come out. But um for now, being sixteenth in the country and getting a win over Florida, you're nine and three, like there's a chance.
2: i I mean, I'd take Florida State on neutral field over several teams in front of them in mm-hmm. the rankings right now.
0: So. Yeah. Yep. We keep going back to it, it makes you wonder what would have happened if they'd held on at NC State, but Um, In any case, still a good year either way. The other thing I was going to mention I keep thinking of is we recapped their game week one against LSU, that win. And I remember thinking, and I think we said this on the podcast, this game has the vibes of that 2016 Texas-Notre Dame game, (laughs) the absolutely epic one. And it was like, these two teams are absolute world beaters. And then neither yeah. one made a bowl game.
2: I think Texas I think was like your, and I, I think your exact words were, "I'm not sure either of these teams will make a bowl game." Yeah. But yeah, um, I yeah, I think
0: that Texas team finished five and seven, and that was the four and eight Notre Dame team. Like, that yeah. everyone yeah. looked back on it at the end of the year was like, "Wow, we were uh, we were really thrown off by that game." Yeah. Yeah, Mike. It turns out neither of these teams was uh, going to miss a ball game, and both were very, very good. And I, yes. I will say though, I do think that they both have improved throughout the season. I think that that early season kind of first game of the years, and, and it was the second for Florida State, but like there was some sloppiness there. I think that um, both teams improved from, and that's always a good sign though, is when when teams improve throughout the season. So yeah. credit, credit to Mike Norvell and that staff because I, I think what they have done building over the last three years has been really, really impressive.
2: Yeah. And it was a rocky start to the tenure, if you'll remember. Um mm-hmm. so he got it he got it going. But I'm yeah. talking both like on and off the field. There was some stuff going on. So he oh, yeah. I mean he uh he has uh definitely won that fan base over, I think, heading in a good direction.
0: Florida State has come a long way from losing to Georgia Tech in uh, game number one under Mike Norvell. That's for sure. God, God. <laughs> Thanks for
1: reminding
2: me.
0: Florida State, 45, Florida, 38. Uh, Let's keep moving, Mike. We'll go to Saturday. Let's do the ACC-SEC Challenge games. We'll just keep that theme rolling. (sighs) Um, I I don't know what happened here, and we need to have a conversation. South Carolina, 31, the number Uh, eight Clemson Tigers, 30. Good Lord, Clemson. Goodness. Like, absolutely screwed around in this game, messed around in almost every way and let it come back and bite you as South Carolina w- wins this game. The number of streaks that were broken – I forget exactly what the numbers were, but they had beaten South Carolina seven times in a row. They had won 40-some-odd straight home games. They had won they, – they hadn't lost since 2008 in a game that they were leading at halftime. All of those streaks, Mike, absolutely kaput. And I think you can really – you can put those lost streaks – honestly – Feels a little bit bad to say it, but I think you can kind of put those at the feet of DJ Uyangalale and a lot of members of that offense and that offensive coaching staff. This was really pretty putrid from Clemson for a lot of this game uh, and that offense in particular.
2: Before we uh, – okay, a couple things. Number one, this is the segment where I'm going to have to eat crow. I'm not Mm -hmm. talking about this particular game. I'm talking about the ACC-SEC challenge. I'm going to have to eat crow a couple times. So this is going to be the first of – two occasions where that's going to happen on this podcast tonight yeah um secondly before we get into an extended discussion about the clemson offense and dju um joey i, I believe we have an award to give out and i would like you to kind of do the honors but scott qq yakity sacks for me my goodness joey speaking of joey, screwing around a, uh, yeah we we got we have an award to give out here joey
0: yeah and this really could have qualified for uh either Either the one that's going to get or the other prominent award on the show, we're going to give this the Brian Van Gorder Memorial You Tried Award. It is working our way towards the middle of the second quarter, and um, Clemson's defense. So, so Clemson pins South Carolina at their own two-yard line on a punt. First play from scrimmage, they get a safety. It is now seven or sixteen to seven. Everyone's feeling good. Defense just got to stop all this. So, South Carolina going to kick off. And Clemson is running some shenanigans, Mike. It's not really pitchy-pitchy woo-woo. Uh, kickoff goes to Will Shipley, who runs up, and Clemson has about four or five players in this little like sugar huddle thing. The play is live. Like people are running trying to tackle the ball carrier. Clemson has about five people standing around in a circle. They do the they do the little shuffle the ball, like you don't, you know, hidden ball trick kind of thing, hand it to Phil Maffa. He runs off up the sideline. It, it doesn't really seem to have fooled a lot of South Carolina. And it really didn't fool South Carolina when Phil Noffa then just drops the ball, it, it fumbles it, South Carolina falls on it and recovers. And, of course, that was only uh, four plays before there was a touchdown scored by the Gamecocks. So Clemson, in a game that they're leading against a team that they have beaten seven years in a row, and as the better team in general, screwing around, running nonsense kickoff return plays, dropping the ball, giving South Carolina an easy touchdown that gave them some momentum and, and ultimately was meaningful in a game that you you lost by one point,
2: by the way. Just Clemson didn't used to do this stuff. No. When they, they knew they had a talent advantage, and they knew they could just roll over people. They didn't mm-hmm. used to have to do this stuff. So that's kind of how – Things have fallen. They've had to try to manufacture points. Uh, that leads right into the offense discussion, right? Because I don't think you're doing this if you have confidence that your offense is going to be able to drive down the field and score against a pretty iffy South Carolina defense. Um, mm-hmm. So let's start here. In the offseason, you said uh, you had a take that you know, you're know you basically saying Clemson was on the downside. They would never kind of reach their peak again under Dabo. Um, yeah. I'm paraphrasing, which I still don't I still don't totally agree with like they can't get back there. But I will say like changes need to happen and it's worse than I thought. Right. Um, what And what I said
0: specifically was they have seen their best days under Dabo. Those days are gone. If mm-hmm. Dabo is going to be insistent on this hiring internal. We only hire our own guys thing. If they are going to refuse to bring in anybody else from the outside, then they are they are done with their, their best days. They are done winning national titles. And, Joey, that is the
2: correct take. <laughs> um,
1: Didn't you also Yeah, add, I was wrong. Um, sorry, I'm jumping in. Didn't you also add the point of not utilizing the transfer portal? Was that, that included? That too, yes. Yep. Okay. Yep, that was yeah.
0: included. Yep. Davo um, just insisting on doing things the way that he has always been doing them is going to be the reason that this program's ceiling is lowered.
2: And I want to bring this up too, Scott. That actually, that's a great point, and it kind of triggered something in my head here. So, Clemson wins their second national title, right? They they beat Alabama, and everybody is naturally making the Dabo versus Nick Saban comparisons as far as, like, who's the best coach in the sport, right? And Who's going to finish with more national titles? Right. And I think all of those discussions at that time were probably warranted given the way that Clemson was kind of, it was, I don't want to call it David and Goliath because Clemson was really freaking good. And in the second national title game, when they had Trevor Lawrence, they were the better team going into that. So I don't want to use that analogy, but like they were taking down, you know, the dynasty, right. And kind of building one of their own. And, I thought all those conversations were warranted at the time. The thing I want to bring up now, though, that we've seen kind of where Alabama is, and again, Alabama is going to miss the college football playoff here for the second straight year. I think. I think, (sighs) qualified. I think. They Um, are. I think. Okay. Whatever. Uh, (laughs) As long as no. Don't lose USC. Don't lose TCU. Don't get embarrassed in your conference championship games, um, Saban, Saban did something, right? There were a couple evolutions of the Alabama dynasty, mm-hmm. right? And the offense looked different, right? Like, there was a 2012 BCS title team with, you know, Trent Richardson running all over Notre Dame. There's the Eddie Lacy, you know, kind of the same realm, right, in the running game. Mark Ingram where they're just going to line up in like single back and like 11 personnel and just run you to death mm-hmm. and then just like play action pass with like any selection of like mediocre backup quarterbacks that they had a.j mccarron and that like a.j mccarron right um probably the best quarterback, quarterback of
0: his first like eight years
2: at alabama by the way <laughs> right right and What they did was they changed things, right? Because Saban was perfectly content winning games 13 to 10.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And then he changed something, right? He said, you know what? I'm going to have to flip this offense upside down. I see the way college football is trending. I might not like the way that we operate offensively, where we got to score a million points, but that's the way college football is headed. So what do I do? I hire... Any selection of high-powered offensive coordinators, you name them, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, etc., and we're just going to try to score a million points and play just, like, decent enough defense to get by. And the reason why I bring that up is because he adapted and he evolved. Dabo's not doing that, Mm -mm. Right. College football is util- is now utilizing NIL and the transfer portal. Now Clemson's got a high-powered NIL program. So Clemson was, you know, Dabo was full of it when he said I'm going to I'm going to quit coaching if players get paid. We knew he was full of it then, and obviously he's full of it now. Clemson has a big time NIL program. But he might
0: have been signaling a little bit of something when he said that.
2: Right. <laughs> right. So he is very set in his ways. Dabo Swinney is just thinking that his culture is going to be enough to get by but what ends up happening is when other teams recruit as well as you do and they're doing the other stuff they get an advantage Joey they get an advantage they start they start performing better on the field that's what we're seeing out of Clemson here they kept all the hirings in-house same offensive assistants have, you know, kind of come through the system. They're trusting their culture. I'm not faulting Dabo for trusting his culture. I'm faulting Dabo for not being smart enough to adapt and kind of change the way he's doing things even a little bit. Utilize the transfer portal. Bring some e- extra guys in from the outside that you think would would be a fit, right? Like, hire an offensive coordinator from outside of the program if you think your offense is struggling. Instead of doing that after last year, he just kind of said, "You know what? we're going to run it back offense We're going to run it back offensively um, with you know Brandon Streeter, who was a prominent assistant on the offensive coaching staff last year. We're just going to have him replace Tony Elliott. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're going to do the same thing on the defensive side of the ball, which the defense hasn't been the problem this year, but they did the same thing on the defensive side of the ball when Venables went to Oklahoma. They need to consider bringing in new ideas especially on the offensive side of the ball in the offseason. They have to consider utilizing the transfer portal. If they're going Hugh, to be
0: the Clemson of the mid to late 2010s that yes. won those national titles, that was a pretty consistent playoff participant, all of that.
2: Because they're still recruiting well. Mm-hmm. And they can still get there. It's not a talent thing. It's a, it's a It's a scheme and coaching thing. And that's where I think Dabo falls behind in the argument against a guy like Nick Saban. Obviously, Saban's got more national titles and all that stuff. But, like, when you're having those conversations, when Dabo's won twice head-to-head against Saban in the biggest game there is in the sport, and you're starting to have those conversations, the biggest difference is that Saban will adapt, and Dabo hasn't shown ability to or a willingness to. I think the willingness to is a really important part here. Right. And I think Clemson needs to make some ser- look in the mirror and make some serious decisions in the offseason. It doesn't need to be like wide sweeping changes, but there's gotta be something different heading into next year, whether it's quarterback, coordinator, offensive assistance, something needs to change.
0: There is a certain uh a certain offensive coordinator who's currently dressed in like a I don't know, what would you call that? Carolina blue uh and Mm -hmm. has a uh you know some Argyle stuff going on that uh you know I think he could probably make your offense a little better.
2: Yeah, you could probably pay him a little bit more, too, than Carolina could.
0: And I think here, here's the crux of it, ultimately, Mike. And again, this is this is kind of what we're saying, is that Clemson right now in SP+, coming off of Week 12, Week 13, Clemson is 13th nationally in SP+. That's best in the ACC. They're still the class of the conference. But they are 33rd on offense, and they are 26th on defense, by the way. Um I in in the almost the defensive number is what sticks out to me more. Because Clemson was almost always a top 10 defense under Brent Venables and we tell me they're they're right on the cusp of the top 25. They're still good, but they're not dominant. They are going to I lose s- games that they were previously winning.
2: I will say too like I think the defense would perform a little better if the offense helped them out. Sure. Like yeah. Now but with that being said, your point's well taken. Like they're still not the elite unit that we've seen in the past. So I mean, they've gone from elite on both sides of the ball to very good on one side of what well, SP plus would indicate they're they're pretty good on offense, which yeah. I'm not going to totally argue. What I, I mean, they won 10 games this year again. But what I'll say is like. There's a clear difference between the offense they are now and the offense they were last year versus the offense they've been. Like right. there's a clear difference. Yep. And the defense, there is a difference. You're not seeing it as significantly because the offense is so glaringly like bad compared to what they've been.
0: Right. Absolutely. I So again, I mean it's 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 not that they're bad. Like when you recruit as well as they do, it's almost impossible to be bad. Um they will not be bad, but Again, this is a program that we have previously predicted to go twelve and zero in the in the regular season to make the playoff. They have won national titles in recent memory. All this stuff, and currently, I think that they are more on a nine and three, ten and two pace. If they don't they don't make those changes. So, yeah, that, that's where I am at, and that's 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 how you lose games like this. Like when your quarterback, you know, in 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 the rivalry game, you, maybe you can assume some things. Again, you've beaten them and all that stuff, but. When this is the best that you can get from DJU. And then you've got your backup, Cade Klubnick, who we
2: don't even feel comfortable putting in the game at any point. I mean... That's, and that's why, Joey, like that last that point you just made about Cade Klubnick, that's why I think it has more to do with coaching than the quarterbacks themselves. Yep. Which makes me again wonder, is it in DJU's best interest to stick around at Clemson next year? Right. Because the discussion the discussion, and the popular discussion across college football is, oh, Clemson should move on from DJU. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Maybe DJU should move on from Clemson. Yeah. Right? Like Everyone might benefit quarter, from that. <laughs> everyone might benefit from that. So uh, depending on where DJU ends up, if you were to kind of consider that, I mean, depending on where he ends up, he might end up on the far better end of that. Right. If he gets, you know, depending on the offense he lands in and the coaching he he gets on that side of the ball and that sort of thing, because I think he can do better than the coaching he's getting at Clemson offensively. I've I've come I've fully come around on that. I'm, yeah, I'm I'm all in on your take, Joey. Yep, all in. One well, other
0: thing I'll mention by the way, if, if you're if you're hearing this and you're saying, well, they scored thirty points, like why are we, you know, why are we frustrated with the offense? No, they Pick didn't. Six. Pick six. The defense is responsible for nine of those points. There was a pick six, like you said, and there was also a safety. Um, So Clemson scored three touchdowns on offense in this game. And that's just not good enough, like you said, against a pretty mediocre, meh South Carolina defense. um, uh, This is not good enough. And so, I don't know. I wonder wonder if a result like this – you can still see the ranking and you can still see how many games you won, whatever. But I wonder – Losing this game to South Carolina might, might actually start to pose a couple of questions. The one other thing I will, I will remind you of before we can move on is um, Brent Venables uh, recently departed Clemson. Mike, do you remember who
2: else recently departed Clemson? Yes, Tony Elliott. And who else? Uh, is it, are you making a Jeff Scott reference here? I was going to say Dabo's boss, Dan Radakovich. Oh, yes, yeah, to Miami, of course. Dan yep.
0: Radakovich recently last let, left Clemson as well, and what I'm getting at with that is that the, the fill-in was also a promotion from within Clemson. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I forget his name, but um, he, he's a young, like, first-time AD, and if you feel like he's in position to really kind of put some pressure on Dabo to make a couple of changes to actually realize the program's potential, Dude. Your upper thirty something, low forty something, first time AD is not putting pressure on Dabo Swinney to do anything about this. So it is up to Dabo to make that decision unilaterally. Otherwise, nothing's going to change.
2: Clemson recruits too well, and Dabo is too good of a is too good of a coach um, and and leader in terms of like the culture he's built. Because I do believe Clemson has a good culture, Joey. Like. Clemson's never going to be worse than than 9 or 10 wins mm-hmm. in the ACC. They're never going to be worse than that. They're always going to be in discussion as best team in the conference. It's right. when you start talking about them as like a national title contender where things start to change, things start to fall off a little bit. And they didn't so, lose a conference game this year by the way. Like <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I picked them to go 11 and 1. You picked them to go 10 and 2. I mean, they went 10 and 2. They should have won this game <laughs> on Saturday. Should have won the game. Yeah. Um so i mean whatever they got bludgeoned in south bend like that's that's probably another game that that shouldn't have happened
0: right right
2: uh, it's graham neff by the way and yes. when
0: he was hired almost a year ago he was listed as 38 years old so that's the guy that uh would have to be whipping Dabo to do something different so uh, if it doesn't happen you know why right South Carolina 31, Clemson 30. Mike, let's keep going. We got another couple of ACC SEC challenge games, but before we do. We'll be quicker here. We'll be quicker. We will be. Let's remind the people about section103.com. It is the internet's premier place to buy all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Highly recommended. Uh, they have all sorts of great t shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, uh, things with the official Tech Gold, the official word mark. I'm wearing my shirt right now. It is incredibly comfortable, it looks great. Um, it, it is wonderful to wear to the game. It is wonderful to wear to anything around the house. You want to go out, you look great in section 103.com. Their Gold Friday sale runs through, if you're listening to this, it's probably on Monday. Um, it runs through Monday, get 20% off your orders. If not, and you want to go get something from section 103, you can also use promo code goACC for 10% off your first order. Highly recommended. Um, I recently got a couple of new shirts. They are all wonderful. Um, Two new shirts and a hoodie, by the way. Um, They also have a new line of uh, a couple of shirts and sweatshirts that are just white with gold text that says Ramblin' Wreck, and it is just absolutely gorgeous. Um, Looks great. There's also the uh, Feliz Bobby Dodd ugly Christmas sweaters uh, that I think look great. They're not ugly at all. So uh, you might want to get in on those. Go to section103.com. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. But if you do this uh, on Monday you might get 20% off with the Gold Friday sale that is extended. So go check them out. I really appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: Mike, the number one – oh, I hate saying this. Number one Georgia, 37, (laughs) Georgia Tech, 14. And if if you're hearing that and you don't know anything about how this game played out, you might think, oh, this is another just easy romp by Georgia. It was not, Mike. Um, I was actually really impressed – with the way that Georgia Tech played, especially defensively, Georgia did not look good in this game. Um, they they struggled badly to finish drives. Um, Georgia Tech kept holding them to field goals in the red zone, uh, those types of things. There were really just a couple of mistakes I think that Georgia Tech made in the uh, kind of in the middle of the third quarter that absolutely just kind of created a landslide. Um, it was a 13-7 to game with nine minutes left in the third quarter when Georgia Tech lined up to, to punt the ball. And uh, the snap. The, I guess the long snapper was out for the year, so it was a backup, and it was a low snap, and punter couldn't catch it, so he finally scoops it up and immediately gets tackled. So Georgia then has a seven-play, 17-yard touchdown drive, including yeah. I believe it took three plays from inside the one-yard line to actually punch it in. And when they did punch it in, it was a uh, – it was a pass to Brock Bowers that was reviewed and allegedly upheld that he caught Scoops. it, but that ball yeah. hit the ground, Mike. Um, yeah. So there's that. And then Georgia Tech on the next drive comes out first play fumble. Georgia goes seven or four plays, seven yards, field goal, and uh, finally I think the dam kind of broke uh, the very beginning of the fourth quarter. Twenty-three to seven, and uh, there's like an eighty-three yard pass that got Georgia from well in their own into the field down into the uh, you know inside the five for Georgia Tech, and they kind of put it away from there. Um, but Georgia Tech hung with Georgia in this game, and I don't know how much of that is, is Georgia again looking ahead, kind of coming down off off the Kentucky game, maybe taking this game a little bit for granted, you know, total trap spot, all that, and or Georgia Tech kind of playing well and playing hard and, and and working hard for Brent Key. I was impressed with Zach Gibson in this game, by the way. And I will, I, I need to give that kid some credit because for all the mess that I talked about him coming off that Virginia game and how terrible they looked and how it's like if, if this is the best that they can do as a backup, like we're done here, don't even bother. Zach Gibson made a couple of throws in this game that were awesome. Um, they, they converted a fourth down on the first drive of the game when they went down and scored a touchdown. It was like fourth and seven, he throws a bomb over the top to Nate McCollum to get him down inside the 10-yard line. That was awesome. Um, just, I, I was just impressed with Georgia Tech here. They did not roll over. They did not you know, just totally lay down and give in, even late. Um, you got a touchdown pass from Dante Smith with like three minutes left in the game on a running back pass kind of thing. So, I don't know. That was fine. But Georgia Tech covered. That, uh, that accomplished the goal as far as I was concerned. And uh, I, I was impressed with how they looked, and, and even in a loss, but – as Brent Key might tell you, there's there's no true moral victories here.
2: Yeah, I don't have a ton to add other than, like, I thought Georgia Tech played well. I also thought Georgia just kind of rolled out the helmets because they knew just by suiting up they were two or three touchdowns better. Mm-hmm. Um, just didn't – Georgia did not seem motivated to play this game. No. Um, I know I know it's a rivalry game, but, like, when your team is that good – And the team you're facing is that not good it's really hard to get up for that game right Mm -hmm. like I don't think Georgia was able to really motivate themselves to come out and play this game um yeah they're fortunate uh they're fortunate that Georgia Tech isn't a little better on offense right because I thought for as well as Zach Gibson played like Georgia Tech obviously couldn't run at all against Georgia's defense which not a huge surprise given who Georgia's got up front and how Georgia Tech has been kind of up and down in the running game all year you know um losing jameer gibbs that was a very obvious thing that georgia tech had to try to overcome all year that they weren't really able to do consistently so Mm -hmm. i mean if georgia tech had any semblance of like a real offense you know georgia might have had to like actually (laughs) like kind of sweat it out a little bit maybe a la missouri (laughs) like back in september when Georgia was, like, screwing around with Missouri for, like, three and a half quarters and then finally Mm -hmm. got got together in the last, like, eight minutes. You know, you could have been in that situation again here. Um, But, yeah, when when you're at home and, you know, you got an SEC championship game to look forward to and, you know, you got the national championship chase on your mind, hard to get up for this game. But with that being said, you can't take anything away from how Georgia Tech played either. So I, yeah. I don't want to do that. I just think it was a little bit of both at work here.
0: I, I definitely wonder, though, Mike. I mean, there were – obviously Georgia Tech scored on their first possession and then didn't really threaten to score until, again, they scored on their final possession of the game.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But I just – I do wonder a little bit about how things might have gone – you know, how much longer could they have made Georgia really have to work for it without making a couple of the mistakes that they made? And it, was, and it was the things that I brought up. There were a couple of really key drops in spots where there were passes on the money that hit a guy in the hands. I think Dylan Leonard had one. Um, I think there, there was maybe another one that was like, it would have been a third down conversion and instead you're punting. You know, so I don't know. There were things that made me wonder. There were people that were also kind of mad that Georgia Tech punted before halftime. Um, they had the ball third and 12 at uh, Georgia's 40-yard line. So you're kind of just on the, on the cusp of, of field goal range. Uh, throw a pass don't convert it and now it's fourth and 11 from their 39 yard line so you've got to get 11 yards and if you don't get it they've got the ball maybe 20 yards from field goal range in a three-point game like i was okay with key not wanting to to push it there and punting and you know kind of discouraging them from trying something but you
2: got to remember who you're playing you know like right to, to your point you gotta remember who you're playing
0: but I thought the game plan made sense. I thought the execution was actually reasonably decent for what this Georgia Tech team has been. And I thought they acquitted themselves well in a game where they were just totally overmatched. So yes, um, I, 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 won't, I, I won't harp on it much, much longer, but at least this was not an absolute ass-kicking in the, in the, on the level that it has been in recent years. It was a little bit more competitive, although that maybe had something to do with, again, Georgia Tech playing pretty well and Georgia maybe not caring that much. Yep, no, I'm definitely with you there. Georgia 37, Georgia Tech 14. Last one of the ACC-SEC Challenge. Mike, I to- I tried telling you. I tried to tell you. You wouldn't listen. Yep. Said it was going to be different nope. this year. <clears throat> yep. It was not different. Kentucky 26, the number 25, Louisville Cardinals 13. Um, Malik Cunningham played some of this game. He did score a touchdown that I believe tied Lamar Jackson's school record in his career. Uh, but otherwise, it was mainly the Brock Duman show, and uh, that was not that was not a profitable endeavor for Louisville. Um, not that Kentucky's offense looked particularly good. Louisville turned it over three times and uh, was negative three in, in the turnover margin, so that's not great. But uh, yeah, Kentucky still just just better, unfortunately.
2: Yeah, I I'm gonna eat crow for being wrong. I'm not gonna really eat crow for how this game played out, though. Like I thought, mm-hmm. I thought Louisville held up pretty well against Kentucky's offense. Um, Chris Rodriguez had a little bit more success in the running game than I thought he would. Yep. Um, but will Will Levis really? I mean, he was 11 of 19 for 188 and two touchdowns, but like, he's kind of running for his life. <laughs> like, it wasn't just easy up and down the field for Kentucky the entire game. It just wasn't that it didn't play out that way. This game was 13-7 to 7 at halftime. You mentioned the three Louisville turnovers. Those proved to be pretty important in, in the outcome of this football game. Mm-hmm. So I don't feel particularly poorly about picking Louisville here. But as far as Louisville just not being able to get over this hump, I'm going to remember this next year when we talk about this game. Yeah, um, Because I, I definitely... I I thought this was a Louisville team that could give Kentucky some problems um, with how Kentucky is constructed up front offensively. I think that bared itself out a little bit in the passing game, but not necessarily in the running game. I thought Kentucky ran the ball pretty well. So I still don't hate my pick, Joey, but I wish I took your advice as far as, like, we got to see it to believe it.
0: Louisville's defense played well enough to win this game. I agree. Like that that's for sure, um and again, they they still didn't Kentucky play as well as I
2: thought, and they still didn't play as well as I thought either, right, like I thought they'd play a little bit better,
0: yeah, Kentucky scored twenty six points, and that was what two offensive touchdowns and four field goals, yeah, and when when your defense is holding them to field goals the way that they were, I mean. Again, that's that's good enough to win. Especially, Kentucky did have a drive in the uh, middle of the second quarter that went four plays, negative five yards, and they kicked a field goal. Because they got the ball on the oh, six-yard yeah. line after a uh, Brock Duman sack fumble return, almost scored a touchdown. Um, and yeah. instead, you only got three points out of it instead of seven. So that's not the defense's fault. Like, right. But I don't know. Maybe some of this can can be put on the shoulders of of, well, it was just quarterback injury stuff. Malik Cunningham wasn't quite right. He wasn't able to play the whole game. He wasn't that great when he was in the game. I, I Again, I don't know if that was an injury thing or right. what what that might be uh, referring to or what might be going on there. But anyways, um, George Jordan did have a pretty decent day running the ball, but that was about the extent of the good for Louisville's offense. And um, I don't know. You got to get that figured out, man. Like, Louisville, once again, now 7-5, and five, like, Kind of went on a run later in the year. Like there's some good here, but I I, I would also be a little bit surprised to talk to a Louisville fan and, and feel like everyone's feeling really good about the direction of the program or feeling good about it after after this loss. And now Scott Satterfield, what zero and three against Kentucky?
2: This just. This just reeks of 2019 Virginia Tech, where they had a really decent team, but then they lost to UVA, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it kind of, it kind of totally undid all the goodwill that was built up from that run that Hendon Hooker went on. Yeah, it kind of it had that feel to it. Where like Hooker took over in the Miami game, Tech went on a run where they won like seven out of eight. Right, and the only game they lost was in South Bend and Notre Dame when Hooker was hurt and they go into that UVA game thinking okay if tech can beat this really good UVA team you start feeling better about things and they couldn't do it and then you're like oh they just won set they they were 7 and 5 it's like oh we're 7 and 5 again great yeah that has doesn't this have that feel this has that feel we we've been hyping louisville up for how they've performed the second half of the year and then they lose this game by two scores when in my opinion, it was a two and a half point spread. In my opinion, they should have, they should have been game like more game here.
0: Yeah, I mean, they had won five of their last six, and the loss was to Clemson in the game where Malik Cunningham right. went out at halftime. I mean, and right, so yeah, I mean, you easily can feel good about the way things had been going, and I mean, again, the defense had been playing great. Uh They gave up ten to NC State, ten to James Madison, twenty one to Wake Forest, ten to Pitt, like all this stuff, Um and so th- the defensive improvement, honestly, is, is again that is a bit of an evolution here under Scott Satterfield, because it has not been yes. all that good in previous years. So that's that's a good sign when the defense did improve, even from early in the year. They did not look great that first month or so. So the improvement right. has been a nice thing to see, whatever, whatever the change was that caused that. Um, but then it's weird that, again, a Scott Satterfield team, which was well-known that first year in 2019 for its offense, now the offense looks pretty ordinary and uh, struggling to find answers at times. So... I don't know. I'm curious to see kind of where this goes, and uh, I feel like it go in any any given direction. We'll uh, we'll have to see what what happens this off season with uh, with Louisville.
2: I mean, Satterfield to get another year, I think. Yeah. Hard to imagine him getting fired now, right. but we'll see. Yeah, I
0: definitely don't think this is fireable, but again, it's kind of in that no man's land of like. It's not fireable, but we don't really feel great about it. And it's like, don't know what to do here.
2: He's in the Fuente zone.
0: There you go. It's exactly where everybody wants to be, in the Fuente zone. How'd that go, Mike? It ended up going
2: poorly. <laughs>
0: it went poorly. So, Kentucky 26, Louisville 13. Three more. Uh, these are the other conference games from this weekend. Mike, let's start with Duke 34, Wake Forest 31. Again, a bit of a fun game, kind of back and forth here. All I have to say is Duke is 8 and 4. Yeah. Go I I don't know what the ACC Coach of the Year trophy looks like. I'm assuming there's a trophy and not just like a plaque or something. Whatever it is, go take a Sharpie and just write Mike Elko's name on it and just walk it over to his house right now because that man what uh, yeah. what a coaching performance for him with Duke this year. Unbelievable.
2: Yeah, I don't know what it looks like either, but <laughs> if we want to sketch it out, it probably looks like Mike Elko now, right? Like eight and four, five and three in the ACC. You know, we talked about the job Dave Doran did at NC State. You know, I think Mike Norvell has a pretty strong argument with what he's done at Florida State. Ain't nobody touching the job that Mike Elko's done at Duke relative to like, like what he took over, what they were expected to do. I mean, there is just no way you can give this award to anybody other than Mike Elko, in my opinion. I think um, I
0: predicted this team at like two and ten or something like that. I mean
2: Yeah. I mean I didn't think I didn't think they'd make I don't know what I well, you did the I think you did the Duke preview. I I mean I didn't think they were gonna make a ball game. So yeah, definitely not. No. Three or four wins maybe. I mean they go eight and four. They have a winning record in the conference. And if I told you that Duke was going to finish with a better record both Overall in an ACC play than Wake Forest. If mm-hmm. I told you that before the season, you would have looked at me like I had five heads. Yeah,
0: yeah. That's I mean that's so. bonkers. It, it's it's nuts too. I mean, looking at it. Speaking of Wake Forest, like you said, I mean they finished seven and five. In a way, that's that's kind of disappointing for Wake with with what they have yeah, been I'd in say. recent years. I think more disappointing, they finished three and five in ACC play. Mm-hmm. That is not great, and it's not really up to their standard. They've lost four of their last five games. The only win coming last week against Syracuse, but the losses at Louisville, at NC State, home against North Carolina, and now at Duke. Um, you know that that's uh, that's a frustrating place for I think Wake Forest fans to be right now.
2: I didn't think they. First of all, I thought they'd win nine. I, I said that before the year. I thought they'd win nine games. So they win seven. This is definitely two games worse than I thought. Yeah. The th- the thing is like didn't it seem like especially in November I guess like back half of October too. Something was just like a little different. I don't know really what it was either. It just seemed like they weren't they weren't right. like complete. Wake has kind
0: of struggled to run the ball at times it feels like. And that's yeah. uh, that's, you know, a little bit of a departure from recent years where they've had a consistently good run game. This year, it's like it's it's not bad, but it's just fine. And it's not something that they can really lean on to win games, though. It's, it's like a lot of this has fallen on Sam Hartman to try to go out there and win every game. And at times he's been able to, but over the last, again, month or so, it, it has not really turned up in his favor most weeks.
2: And he's had some turnovers, too, you know, which he didn't turn the ball over like this last year he had a stretch where he just turned the ball over a ton um even outside of the Louisville game I know he turned over a bunch in that game but like he was turning the ball over a little bit more consistently than he has in the past too and again that could be you know to your point about you know a little bit more being on his shoulders I mean that could be a signal of that
0: yeah yep so I don't know um yeah, kind of a kind of a weird place for Wake Forest to be here. Um, again, I mean, this was a this was a good game, a good performance. It was twenty to seventeen at halftime. Um, I don't know that this was ever really outside of. A, I guess Duke at one point had a seventeen to seven lead, but then pretty quickly Wake came back and scored a touchdown to make it a three point game. Um, you know, it, neither team ever really pulled away, and Wake had a lead uh, with about uh, what, what was it that like about five minutes left in the game. Yep. you know i mean they had a uh so it was 31-27 duke goes down and scores a touchdown with uh about 2 minutes left and i say goes down uh they they scored a two-play touchdown uh in, in it racked up 65 yards in the process so um you know that's that's not a great late game showing for wake's defense and that's that that definitely you sucks to top don't get it yep um you know only come up with one sack on the game only two tackles for loss not ideal, you know. So Riley Leonard continues to cook, by the way. He had almost 400 yards, uh, four touchdowns, only one pick here. I Good things about Duke, and Wake is, is close, but maybe not quite close enough.
2: I wonder if Sam Hartman comes back. Would you?
0: Speaking of guys who are like 26 by now, by the way.
2: Like, he's got another year of eligibility. Like, if he absolutely doesn't go pro, he's coming back to Wake, right?
0: He will be 24 going...
2: years old in the middle of camp next year. Maybe before camp starts. What's the receiving core look like? I mean, we, we, that, we'll that we just drag this podcast way out if we start going down that road. Yeah, I don't know either. Um, he's had some talented receiving cores, and if that room gets a little more barren, I'm curious if... You know, if he decides to return to school, if it's at Wake Forest, there is, I, I would think it would be, but I wonder. Yeah. I mean, again, let's
0: keep in mind here that this guy started nine games in 2018. Yeah. So there's that. Um, and, and I think the other thing to, to kind of, you can ask the question about is remember that he missed the first game of this year and missed mm-hmm. some time in the preseason because of a blood clot issue that he had. Um hmm there's maybe something you can say about, you know, how did that affect anything? But then again, again, Wake was like six and one going to Louisville here a few weeks ago. Right. So, you know, I don't, it, if it would have affected him, it would have probably affected him before then and not right. in the final month or so of the season. You know, any preparation okay. or whatever he might have missed out on. Right. No, I, I'm with you there. I mean, I don't think we can draw a parallel. And the other possibility, Mike, maybe the ACC is just really kind of good. The Atlantic Division was kind of deep; like they had a bunch of teams that won a bunch of games. And you know, when you play a game, Mike, I don't know if you if you knew this, but the the rules state that somebody has to win and somebody has to lose.
2: Yeah, I uh, I am not going to uh, I'm not going to get on this podcast and tell you that the ACC is any good. I'm not going to be. <laughs> That's not a hill I'm going to die on, but wouldn't recommend um, it. <laughs> yeah. But if you want to fight that battle, God bless, more power to you. I'm not going to join you in that endeavor. Fine, I'll go myself. Duke thirty okay. four, Wadefor thirty one. <laughs> Great. Two
0: more, Mike. Syracuse thirty two, Boston College twenty three. Syracuse with an easy win here, just as we all expected. Sure. Producer Scott, I'm not going to lie. Um, I did not really get eyes on this game, but apparently, if I had, uh, th- this this box score is not all that meets the eye. Is what it sounds like.
1: Yeah, the game got really wonky. Um, I turned it on at the beginning, of the fourth quarter, I think. BC was leading, and I was texting you guys because I was like had my eyes on it because it was a upset pick from last week, and it seemed to me from someone that was watching this on a second screen while watching Notre Dame fumble away their chances against USC, um, that Syracuse figured out they could run all over them in the fourth quarter, and Sean Tucker had a great fourth quarter, and once they figured out they could just run the ball, it was pretty much over. Um, Hmm. So I I honestly didn't watch the first three quarters, but to me, that's what they were doing successfully in the fourth quarter. So that's what I would assume... Ended up working out for them. I think there was a couple turnovers in there as well. But, I mean, the game was a one-point game with, like, seven minutes left. So, I mean, yeah.
2: 26 points scored by Syracuse in the fourth quarter. Um, uh, I was going to say, it was 10-3 to three Boston
0: College at halftime. And Boston College scores a touchdown three minutes into the fourth quarter to take a 17-6 to 6 lead. And, by the way, Syracuse finishes this game with 32 points. So,
2: yeah. Nice little run there, huh? Not bad. Yeah. Whatever. Syracuse won seven and five.
1: Shout out uh, late uh, seven <laughs> second left backdoor cover from the Eagles. Mm.
2: That's mm. right.
0: Emmett Moorhead got Love us there. Love that, my man. Love that.
2: <laughs> By a point.
0: <clears throat> yeah, this was a uh, this is a wild game in. In the fourth quarter specifically. It was not wild or particularly interesting. I mean, let me read the drive chart from the first two, for the first half, we'll say. Oh, God. Syracuse starts go. with the ball. Three plays, zero yards, fumble. Boston College, four plays, six yards, field goal. F- Syracuse, three and out. Boston College, three plays, 15 yards, touchdown. Syracuse, eight plays, missed field goal. Boston College, seven plays, missed field goal. Syracuse, five plays, punt. Boston College, 12 plays, 23 yards punt. Uh, do some math on that. Syracuse, 12 plays, 66 yards field goal. Boston College, 2 plays, negative 5 yards fumble. Syracuse, 6 yard, six plays, negative 2 yards, and I guess a punt here? Uh, maybe, it, yeah. Yeah, they had 3rd and 35, and uh, they did not come away with points. So And then Boston College missed a field goal as time expired going into halftime. So this whole game was kind of a go ACC moment of the week is what I'm saying.
2: Thousand-foot view, BC, 3-9. and nine. That ain't it, Jeff Halfley? No, no. That ain't it, buddy. Credit to
0: them for the fight that they showed here in the last few weeks. Um, a team that we totally wrote off. They had the lead. They, they had a chance to win this game. They did beat NC State two weeks ago. They had a chance to beat Duke uh, a week before that. I mean –
2: they didn't quit. Got got dominated in South Bend. Yeah, <laughs> we'll, gloss, we'll gloss over that one. It's not an ACC game anyway. They covered almost every week, with
0: the exception of that one week. Like so, there's that. Right. But just in general, again, going back to August, if I told you that Boston College was going to go three and nine, I don't even know how much context matters that much at that point. Like, not not good feelings on uh, Jeff Halfley at the moment. I feel like
2: No. No, nah, this this is this is not it. Definitively not it. Jeff not it.
0: No, this is not it. Yeah. Syracuse thirty-two, Boston College twenty-three. Unless you have anything else, Mike. not nah, no, I'm good. I'm good here. We don't have to talk about that any longer. Because the one other game that we do need to talk about. <laughs> Pittsburgh forty-two, Miami sixteen. Um,
2: goodness. Put it, them out of their misery. Why don't you?
0: If you thought Miami was going to come out here and absolutely give it their very very best effort. To try and make sure <coughs> that they had a chance to go He's play in Shreveport, prize, yeah. you were mistaken. Um, it was 28 to nothing at halftime. Miami turned the ball over three times and uh, they played all three quarterbacks Jake Garcia, Tyler Van Dyke, and Ja'Curry Brown. None of it really worked. Um, it was, what, 35 to three going into the fourth quarter? So yeah it's over now Miami don't
2: worry death taxes betting against 2022 Miami being a profitable endeavor this was the only bet I won this weekend (laughs) I went one in I went one in nine against the spread this weekend I was not any I was not more confident in any pick than this one this was the one Miami
0: finishes the season one and ten against the spread against FBS competition
2: that is amazing if you just bet against Miami, if if you just bet spread against Miami all year, you want to you would have won 9 out of the 10 weeks against FBS competition.
0: 10 of 11.
2: 10 of 11 weeks against FBS competition. Mhm. Um profitable.
0: Yeah, your kids would be going to college if you had uh, just done that.
2: <sighs> yep.
0: So maybe I should have Now I don't know. Yeah, um,
2: <laughs> now we gotta struggle to put food on the table, Joey. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah.
0: How are my yeah. kids gonna eat now that I haven't bet on Miami all or bet against Miami all week, all year, whatever? Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, we can we can thank God that BetUS is helping us put food on the table in that right.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. The. Uh,
2: yeah, those winners over at yeah. BetUS. Yeah. US. Um, yeah. If if food line if only food line accepted Bitcoin. <laughs>
0: <became better shape. laughs> Specifically, if Food Lion only accepted Bitcoin, is what we're saying.
2: Um, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> from, from shady endeavors. Yeah.
0: <laughs> what could possibly go wrong? Um, Bitcoin yeah. doing really well lately, by the way. I don't know if you knew about that. But, um, oh, God. <laughs> uh, Pitt kind of did whatever they wanted here. Um, the Pitt offense that we have spent a lot of time talking about this year racked up 500 yards and uh, six touchdowns, three through the yeah. air, three on the
2: ground. That's not a good sign. Uh, Miami made Keaton Slovis look like a Davy O'Brien finalist, so that's not not the way to do it. Decidedly not a good sign. Not Um, the way to do it, yeah.
0: And and, uh, Pitt's offense did kind of whatever they wanted. Pitt's defense did kind of whatever they wanted. They came up with six sacks, 11 tackles for loss. Not unusual. Uh, Miami's defense came up with zero sacks and zero tackles for loss. Which <laughs> you you played a whole sixty minutes and you didn't come up with a single tackle for loss. My goodness yeah. gracious! Against uh, yep. like Pitt's offense, um, so there's that. Mike Pitt's defense even did whatever they wanted on the sidelines. Um, as uh, Scott, can we can we cue the music, please? Oh yes, I forgot because there were shenanigans on the Pitt sideline as well as I believe it was in the fourth quarter. Pitt up big, and everyone's happy and everyone's celebrating. And then I don't know what got into Devin Danielson over there. Uh, big 300-pound lineman. But my guy was, I, I don't know, real fired up or, or something. Ends up – the cameras catch him going all – if you remember the uh, West Virginia fullback, Owen Schmidt? Yes. Uh, basically smashing his helmet over his head. And what's funny is not only was he doing this, and, and you're kind of like, whoa, what the hell is this? But if you look at the camera shot on the side, his teammates sitting on the bench next to him kind of watching this are all of a sudden just, like, horrified. at Like, what in the world is – like, what is happening? So uh, to Devin Danielson trying to go all uh, ECW Sandman smashing beer cans over his forehead to bust himself open. um, Yeah, to that we say go ACC. Every football team has that guy. Don't be that guy. (laughs) Don't be that guy, but also don't run into that guy in a dark alley
2: because uh, <laughs> you don't know what Brett. he's going to be uh, capable of. Yeah, if you're up four touchdowns and you still have anger problems, I don't know what to tell you. <sighs> I,
0: I I don't understand. I don't know what happened there. But anyways, good on you, Devin. Devin Danielson, I'm sure there will be a uh, CTE-based movie about you here in a few years, oh, but God. it's fine. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Pitt, 42, Miami, 16. Uh Mike, I anything else here before we uh finish out with a couple more awards.
2: We covered a lot of ground. It's twelve thirty seven AM Eastern.
0: Yeah. Um now I'm good. All right. Easy enough. Uh do we have a Kobe Bryant Memorial Volume Shooter of the Week?
1: Oh I was
0: wondering about Jake Garcia going seven carries for negative fifteen yards. Um assuming that he uh was recipient of some of those six sacks from Pittsburgh.
2: I would, I would assume, I would assume that he was. I would assume <laughs> that he was. Um, now let's let's flip over. Let's flip over here to BC. Um, <laughs> Pat Garwo Pat had Garwo like a million carries for like
0: forty yards.
2: Yeah, twenty-five for eighty-three. That's three point three a rush. That's, that's, not, the that's, that
0: that's, that's say, not the best. To that, do we say what do we say, Mike?
2: Kobe, Kobe.
0: Good job, Pat Garwell. You tried.
2: That's a different award. Sorry. Mike, who's your team of the week? Oh, God. Um, NC State, probably.
0: That was mine as well. Yeah.
2: NC State, State probably. Big win. Yeah. Yeah. NC State. Um, Honestly, honorable mention to Syracuse because of how they got there. Sure. Um, Yeah. You know, just – put it together late and broke the streak just got to seven wins which did i can't make fun of them now that's right so that's right syracuse player of the week i'm tempted to go ben Uh, finley that's ben ben finley's a good pick i'm gonna go with jared wayne 11 for 199 oh yeah two touchdowns yeah was it two or three Three. I'm sorry, three touchdowns. 11 for 199, three touchdowns. Yeah, that'll do. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's, uh, those are good numbers. I mean, Wayne is like really Pitt's only good receiver, and mm-hmm. <laughs> Miami didn't cover him. So,
0: I was going to say, honorable mention, the, uh, the combo of Jalen Calhoun and Samir Hagans for Duke, who had a combined yeah. 19 catches for well over 300 yards and three scores, that'll do too.
2: Yeah, Riley Leonard threw for 391, so you know mm-hmm. where the ball was going. Yeah, exactly. All right.
0: That's a good, uh, good little list of players of the week, I feel like. Mike, anything else before we work on getting out of here?
2: No, I think we're good.
0: Um, I think we are good. So what comes next? So we have an ACC championship game to come back and preview. We will do that on probably Tuesday this week, maybe something like that. I don't know, Tuesday, Wednesday, something like that. We'll we'll be here. Yep. Figured it out. Keep keep your podcast feed tuned here. Um, I will probably honestly put out a solo show of some sort here in the next few days when Georgia Tech figures out its life with what it's doing with a head coach. That has been a very back and forth situation over the last uh, 24 hours or so. And might be resolved by the time you're listening to this, who knows, but uh, if not, I will, um, you know, I'll I'll kind of give an update here in the next couple of days, so keep it tuned here, and um,
2: yeah, that's good, don't forget anything, Mike. I don't think so. Are we going to commit to, like, off-season recordings? Do you want to do that? Is that scary? Should we do that?
0: We, you know, every year we say we want to record more in the off-season, and then we record on
2: about the same schedule, so... <laughs> i think scott I, I think scott being here to drive this is going to be mm-hmm. really good yes i think that's where rubber meets the road on our off recordings yes scott
1: i heard my name and i wasn't paying attention hello oh <laughs> perfect beautiful.
2: <laughs> beautiful
0: which is actually a perfect lead into what i was about to say of you know if you've noticed an uptick in quality in this podcast over the last like two months that's all on producer scott he has uh he has really helped yes. us improve as he's not paying attention
2: over there. <laughs> yes.
1: I'm tired. I want to go to bed.
0: Me too. Likewise. Let's get out of here. Uh, we're going to get out of here, come back, and preview the ACC championship game. In the meantime, come find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. He's at Mike Together SI. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. Go follow Scott at Severus underscore Snipes on Twitter. I think I got that right, but either way. Uh, We are on iTunes, we're on Spotify, all those good places you go find podcasts. We're on Amazon Music. So your home Amazon-based assistant system, of which I have in my house and I'm trying not to trigger right now, just ask her to play the Basketball Conference podcast, and you should be able to find us if you want to listen to us that way. We are on YouTube. YouTube.com slash at the ACC Football Podcast. I think we are closing in on 100 subscribers Scott, did your aunt help get us uh, get us over that line?
1: That was Mike's aunt, um, I think. Mike, we're at eighty five now. That was uh, my
2: mom's. That was my mom's cousin, who's a male. So we we butchered that.
1: Mike's relative.
2: Either way, yes.
1: Um, We're at eighty five. Uncle Steve, right?
2: Yeah. (laughs) Who's who's to say these days?
1: Am I right? We're at eighty five now on YouTube. Um, For those who only watch on YouTube, I'm going to talk over their laughing, but. Uh, I apologize for not getting the week 13 preview out on time. Recording from not being home was not easy on making that, and I'm butchering speaking right now. But um, yeah, I'll get it. I'll get the week 13 recap out on YouTube eventually. Uh, and then for the ACC championship preview, we're gonna do something a little different. And I sent this idea out to the guys. Um, it's gonna be like a crazy pool type of thing. So I've been. Looking into this, basically we're gonna do like quarter by quarter lines. We'll throw in some head, we're pulling some heads or tails in the coin toss bets. We're just gonna make it really let's wild since so it's only one game.
0: Yeah, hell yeah, that'll be let's fun. Yep. Is there a way for listeners to play along?
1: That's that's too much for me right now, Joey. Why would you hashtag
0: do that engagement? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's yeah, it's pretty late. So let's let's keep going. Mike, uh, where else are they? Where else are we on the social medias?
2: Well. We were on Facebook until we made a couple comments there. They'll probably get us canceled. So, <laughs> facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find some of our podcasts there and some other stuff as well. Instagram as well at BC Podcast ACC.
0: Those are both uh, social media platforms that we are really confident are going to exist in three to four weeks' time. So, um, definitely make sure you follow us
2: there. <laughs> yeah.
0: Can't say Twitter that. Twitter probably our. too.
2: Yeah. Twitter probably, but, you know, can never be too sure. No, <laughs> certainly can't.
0: Uh, they can send us an email too, by the way, to the longest email address known to man: basketballconferencepodcast at gmail dot com.
2: Nailed it. We basically only read the emails there and don't actually reply to any of them. So.
0: Now that the season's over, maybe we will we'll actually get around to uh, you know doing what normal people do with email addresses and you know read yeah. them and reply to them and blah 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 blah. Yeah.
2: If you asked who the quarterback of insert team here was going to be in like week six, we'll probably ignore that email, but the others we'll try to get to.
0: Oh, I don't know. I'll probably reply to it and just, you know, see if I can retroactively figure out the answer.
2: (laughs) Yes. See where we could have done better.
0: We'll find out. Mike, that's all I got. Anything else before we get out of here? We're good. You want to come back and uh, preview the ACC championship game? I do. Let's do it. Let's do it. All right. For that guy, Mr. Mike McDaniel, and for producer Scott, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC.
1: same time every new beginning comes from some other beast.